Hi, everybody. Good to be talking to you. We are actually breaking with the plan. Uh, we are interrupting our series in Samuel once again um, for reasons that I will explain. So if you're part of Emmanuel, you will be uh, used at this point to hearing me get up or someone get up and talk from the book of Samuel, which we've been doing for a few weeks. And we've kind of been doing for a few years. Uh, we've been chipping away at the story of the life of David. Um, and we've got so close to killing him this summer, really, really, really close to the end. And I really thought we were going to bring him to the end and have the last words of David and then go into the summer holiday and it would all be Samuel's over. But I'm interrupting it for four weeks with a completely different series across all the sites at once. We're doing this all synced up. Everyone's getting the same messages at once. Um, and, uh, and so David lives. David survives another year. I, I feel like... Uh, the villain in a Bond movie. I, can't, I just can't kill him. Um, but we will kill him one day. We'll get there. So let me read instead from Mark chapter 4, and, uh, and then we'll get into it. And I'll explain uh, the interruption, and uh, we, will, we will have an amazing time, nevertheless, because the Bible is amazing. So uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 2 to 20, talking about Jesus. He was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure it for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So we are talking today and over the next few weeks about the subject of money and the way we deal with money, the way we as a church want to go forward uh, with regard to money and the, the impact that will have on you if you are a member of this church. 
So these messages today and the next three weeks are quite targeted at Emmanuel as a church and therefore at those who are members of this church. But listen, if you're not a member of this church, we are really, really glad you're here and you are very welcome. Treat this as, as a privilege. You are just you are welcome at the kind of family dinner table where we talk, we kind of huddle up as a family. We're going to talk about the family business. We're going to talk about where we're at financially and the challenges we face and also talk about how we give and how we respond. Everybody, I think, will get stuff from this. You will learn, you will find, if, if all you learn is how weird we are, that's fine. But I think you'll learn more than that as well. I think you'll, you'll, you'll learn some things about God and what he's like and how he changes us on the inside um, and how that affects even the way we, we, we give, how we're generous, how we, we're free from the love of money and so on. So please, please hang in there if you're not a member, okay? Please, please don't go. This is big for you as well. But... In terms of the focus, I want to talk to you if you're a member. I really need your attention because this is definitely for us as a church especially. Uh, The gift day uh, is normally what we have coming up right now, our summer gift day. And uh, with that in mind, um, it's worth us talking about our plans with regard to our normally three annual, triannual gift day. Every term we do another gift day. And I want to talk to you about what we're doing about that. You may be surprised by what we're doing about it because it's a bit different this year. So let me explain why. Let me start by saying that here at Emmanuel, we set an annual budget uh, towards the end of every year. Um, we, we establish what we're aiming for uh, so that as the months roll by in a new year, uh, we can judge how much we're raising, how much we're giving against the target that we've set. Last year, we actually gave 5% above uh, the previous year, which was so encouraging. And also, we were going up in our number of members, which we still have. Over the last three years, we've had more members than the year before. People are joining us and becoming part of the church, which is encouraging. And so with an increase in membership and an increase in our giving from 2016 to 2017, we thought it was fair to set another increase giving target for 2018. We set a 3.5% target because we want to do more, we want to achieve more um, as a church, and so we we know we need to keep raising the appropriate amount of money. We thought 3.5% increase is a little stretching, but it's not crazy. Uh, It's something good for us to go for. The the sad news is that as the the months have rolled by, we've discovered that an average of... Uh, £6,000 loss has been made each month. Uh, so from January through to May, we've got the May accounts, obviously not the June accounts yet, uh, but for all of those months, uh, the giving on, on average has been six grand below across all the sites combined. And that's obviously disappointing given that we've got more members, six grand below our targets, but it's also disappointing in that it's not just below our target, it's actually below what we gave last year. So it's, it's less rather than more, and it's, it's in spite of the fact we've got more people. So that has concerned us a little. And what concerns us more is that if this trajectory continues through to the end of the year, then we will be in 
in more trouble. It would be a, a, more of a concern for us. Uh, we're not panicking. We're not fearful. We've been told in Scripture not to worry, not to be anxious. Um, but we're, we're peacefully praying and trusting that God will lead us and wanting to make wise decisions off the back of this. The trajectory for this, if it continues, is that we would, we would have to make some quite big decisions about our budget. Now, let me put this in the context of the, the way that we monitor and cover our budget. We, uh, we are really careful as a team of elders and with trustees helping us uh, to look at our books and look at our spending um, with real responsibility. And so over the last few weeks, um, as we've looked at this trend continuing, we've checked our budgets, we've sat down with all our budget holders very carefully, and we've planned for some, some fairly important cuts uh, that we will put into implementation um, within a few months if necessary. And we've already made some cuts this year uh, that, that seem obviously necessary, but we're prepared to make further cuts and further cuts as the months roll on if we need to. So we're, we're kind of covering the back door. Uh, we're not getting irresponsible with our spending. Uh, we want to make sure that we're, we are not uh, uh, sort of exacerbating the problem with, with uh, spending that's inappropriate. So we're making cuts, and that's, that's the big deal for us. Uh, this is a church with a lot of staff. Uh, it's a church with a lot of departments, ministries across the church that are busy doing stuff, that are trying to achieve things uh, for the kingdom of Jesus. And, and that, that certainly requires resources, and so making cuts is no small thing. Um, it, it's, it means that we don't get to do some of the things that we want to do, and it's a, it's a big challenge for us as we seek to look after uh, the, the staff and all of the ministries that they carry. There is the hiring and the maintenance of venues. We, we hire venues at the weekend every Sunday uh, for two of our sites, and the other sites, the other two, own venues, but those venues need maintenance. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes into that, a lot of expenses. There's equipment. There's the kind of equipment we use to do multi-site, which, uh, which certainly uh, doesn't come free. There's the, the responsibility for communication across the church and beyond the church through our website and through all the materials involved in doing good communications uh, these days. There's all that we do in terms of the responsibility for overseeing the pathways and alternatives, uh, these significant flagship ministries that are there to serve the disadvantaged, serve people in crisis situations. Uh, our team of elders and trustees oversee budgets of many hundreds of thousands of pounds. And so I just want to give you a feel for the kind of things we're carrying. We also continue our plans to plant new churches and start new sites in new parts of this city and in cities beyond. Uh, every time we launch something, every time we sort of give birth to a new church, as it were, that requires significant uh, funding and resources. And then just to add to uh, the excitement of it all, we have the privilege as a church of carrying responsibility for New Day. New Day is a unique and extraordinary event that takes place on a campsite every August in Norfolk at the moment. It, it gathers about 7,000 teenagers uh, to worship God, to hear teaching from the Bible. Their lives are transformed. Uh, these teenagers come home to their families and schools and neighborhoods completely changed. We have seen stories for now over a decade of, of whole churches and communities feeling the impact of this extraordinary event. We we love New Day. It is such a privilege to host 
thousands of young people every year and to see their lives transformed, even miraculously transformed as God moves in, in clear as crystal healing power, which cannot be denied. We have medical reports of healings that just blow our minds. New Day is extraordinary. And guess what? Emmanuel has this privilege right now of carrying it financially, which is definitely a joy and an honour, but it's certainly a burden as well. So with all of these things... Uh, at our desk, as it were, we feel we need to steward our finances well because we're looking after stuff that God really cares about. And uh, that's what you and I, if you're a member of this church, that's what we are part of doing. And so when we see a trend of decrease in our giving, it does uh, appropriately bring us a little bit of concern and causes us to think, what do we need to do? How do we need to address this? Now, I mentioned gift day earlier on. So gift day would be a natural recourse at this stage. It makes sense for us to think, well, uh, we've got a gift day. Let's, let's, let's deal with this emerging deficit uh, by, by basically clobbering it with the gift day. The summer gift day, we tend to raise way over £100,000 in every term in our gift days and uh, often up to 150000 and beyond uh, with our gift days. We could do that. We could just raise a sensational amount and put this whole problem to bed, and that will be fine. And believe me, that's tempting. And we really have considered that as the move to make at this stage. But for two key reasons, we are not doing that. In fact, drum roll, we are not doing a summer gift day. Not as such. We're not doing what we normally do at this time of year and having the, the big Sunday and the kind of little brother Sunday the week after where we, we call everyone to come forward with the buckets at the front and we sing a song and we, and we say, bring your gifts. And it's a big one-off moment for everyone to bring their big douche gift into the offering and then we all go home um, and jubilation. We're not doing it quite like that this time around. It might feel like that at some points because we're still going to give. But we've felt as a team not comfortable with solving this problem through just a gift day. Two key reasons. First of all, it doesn't seem that it's an appropriate use of a gift day. What we've endeavoured to do with our gift days over the years is, and we've generally achieved this, uh, donate the money to ministry that is above and beyond either sort of church plants that go outside of Brighton or uh, ministries that serve the poor uh, and the disadvantaged in this city, quite apart from the ongoing workings of the local church. Particular projects and things that are, are sort of, yeah, gifts, the gift day. That's what it's all about. The clue's in the name. We want to give it away. We want to we raise a lot of money that isn't about Emmanuel just carrying on as one local church, but it's about giving away to the poor, giving away to serve church plants in other cities, giving away perhaps to starting new sites and helping sites across the church get started, but ideally not to be about just carrying on with our budget. The reality is we've got to a point where carrying on our budget is a challenge because our giving has gone down a little in spite of our membership going up. And so it feels to us, and I guess it ought to feel, I hope it feels to you as well, as though just this summer we probably need to learn to walk again before we can run. Uh, we need to go back to basics. Uh, gift days are glorious, but they're kind of a luxury. And I just want us to make sure that we're doing the, 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 
the steady, plodding, faithful giving to the church so that we're kind of covering our tracks well and that when we come to the next gift day and the gift days after that, and I trust we'll keep going with wonderful gift days into the future, we, we don't have to worry about deficits in our budget and we're not trying to solve any problems through our gift days. Gift days shouldn't be about solving our problems. They should be about solving other people's problems. And so we're wanting to say, God, help us to focus right now on getting our own house in order with our ordinary regular giving, which seems to have taken a hit. The second reason, and it's kind of linked, the second reason it doesn't seem right, is that I suppose we can get into habits where we, we, actually, we actually turn too easily to big crisis solutions. Uh, there's something about that in, in our hearts, I think, maybe especially in this generation, where we're, we're quite excited about the big one-off gift. A lot of people, I think, who don't have very clear habits of giving, who don't give regularly to the church, who, who don't set up anything in their annual budget for giving, will get very stirred and motivated by a, an individual gift day and give huge record-breaking amounts because it seems exciting. And I'm not saying it isn't exciting. If you do that, good for you. I'm pleased and I, I do the same. I love being extravagant at gift days. I love taking risks. I love putting big checks in and just seeing what God will do. That's a joy. That's a wonderful, wonderful privilege. But if that's all we do, I think our diet is a little unhealthy because that's, that's not staple giving and it's not stable giving. It's not, it's not, it's not quite the, the mixture we need. We need the exciting, sexy moments where we give big time, but we also need just to be steady, faithful, budgeted, wise giving that we just do with our books out, with, our, with, our, with looking carefully at our spreadsheets and we commit deliberately as members of a church to helping make that church flourish. If you are not, as a Christian... If you're not a Christian, please, this, this is for those who would say, yeah, who would see themselves as followers of Jesus. If you are not, as a Christian, planning in your annual financial plans to serve through your finances as a member of a church, you're missing, you're, friends, you, you need to deal with that because that's just normal discipleship. You say, I'm going to follow Jesus, therefore I'm going to, I'm going to be part of his church. And that doesn't just mean showing up. That means paying the bills. That means carrying the weight. That means being part of the solution when it comes to the finances. So, so we're bringing this to you excitedly, but challengingly. We're not doing a gift day this summer. We're not doing it quite like that. We are, on the other hand, going to do what we're doing now. I'm going to teach and Stephen's going to teach and we're going to bring some teaching over four weeks and we're going to bring some very specific challenges. It won't just be teaching. We're going to make time, just like we do with gift days, in the next few Sundays, to actually do it. Not just to hear it. The Bible has warnings about people who are just hearers of the word. We're going to do it. We're going to stop everything. We're going to get pencils out. We're going to get paper out. We're going to start scribbling. We're going to get phones out. Whatever you need to get out. We will actually make plans. We'll do whatever it takes for us as a church to get to a level up. And we're calling this whole series Level Up, Level Up. Everybody here has got some story with regard to Jesus and money. Some of you have never given anything to a local church. Some of you have given tens of thousands or more to a local church. Some of you have given tens of thousands to this church, maybe more. 
So the stories are very wide ranging. Some of us are at the point where actually we are constantly stretching ourselves to give more. We just love giving and we are very committed, very deliberate, very disciplined. You don't need to hear this sermon in a sense. You could preach it to me. It's just, it's just in your blood. You can't stop it. For many others of you, this is a stage where the challenge is how are you going to level up? Even for the ones who are excited and giving huge amounts, I'd still say to you, I wonder how you could level up. See, if we're all, if you like, on different levels, you know, in our giving records, in our giving story, for all of us, there's a next step. For, for me, there's definitely a next step. What's my next step? How can I give more? What could I do more to serve Jesus in my lifetime with my money? Well, not my money anyway, it's his money, good grief. What's the next step that I should go to? I wonder what your next step is. What do you think? think it is and don't answer now let's talk to God let's spend a few days talking to God and I'll, I'll mention that again before before I've finished certainly this is a challenge I've brought to myself before preaching it to you so my wife and I we got our spreadsheets out again this week and we thought I'm not going to stand up and preach <laughs> I'm not talking to them about giving more unless I've given more so we looked at our giving records for this year and we thought, man, we, were not, we weren't giving as much every month as I thought we were. Somehow, I didn't actually hike up my annual giving. I don't know, it just flipped my mind. Now, that's interesting. If it happens to me, I know it happens to many of you. It's not because I don't want to give more. It's just I, I completely, lazily didn't get around to it. What is that about? I wonder how many hundreds of Emmanuelas that that's true of. And so we dealt with it. We said, right, we are paying back what we didn't give in January through to June, and we're going to put it up for June to December. And we prayed, because we, we gave huge amounts in the spring gift day, I prayed that God would give me money to give to the summer gift day, because I wanted to give more. But we, we really ate up our gift day budget, if you like. And I thought, God, I want to give to the summer gift day, but you're going to have to give me some money so I can give it to the gift day. And last week, he did. Last week, a huge gift came in for me and Kate, and so we're bunging that into the general fund. We say, okay, we'll put that in as well. Now, I'm giving you an example. I want you to know we are not coming to you as elders at this point saying, you know, you guys, you better start giving. No, we're saying we, we are feeling this. It's on our chin. It's, it's on our plate. You need to know we want to lead by example. All the elders, we've talked to all of all one another, elders and wives, and talked about how we can lead by example, in this situation. Please feel free to ask us more questions about that. Uh, but trust us, we're, we're going into a series of four messages knowing that this has got to our hearts before it's got to, the, to you guys uh, hearing it um, from us. So let me just uh, put some more perspective on this before we close today. We have a vision as a church. God's given us an amazing responsibility, amazing call to keep planting churches, to keep growing. I believe there'll be more sites in Brighton and Hove, uh, perhaps even soon. There's potential options, that, opportunities that we're praying very seriously about at the moment even. And we've come a long way. Just six, seven years ago, we were at the point where we were starting to pray about going multi-site and, and planting churches in other cities. And look how far we've gone. Look what God's done all over the place, new sites and even other cities that we've planted in Amsterdam, Berlin, Ottawa, soon to be planting in Krakow and in Belfast. These are exciting times for us. We've been through quite a journey, but honestly, that's just the first bit. 
That's just the first chapter. We need to get ready and level up so that we're ready for the next chapter because the next chapter is going to require a kind of mature base of, of financial servants, stewards in this church. We're going to need to feel like we're, we're helping to establish something mighty across the cities of the world. And to do that well, we need to be clear and prioritise God's kingdom, even with our finances. And I believe as we get into this series in the next few weeks and take some of the steps we need to take, I think it will help us enormously. See, every autumn at Emmanuel, we go into a harvest season. Like in nature, there's harvesting in the kind of autumn season, right? Well, September, October, November is often a time of big growth for us. Lots of new people coming into the city and we, we always have preaching series that particularly engage our newcomers. We are very conscious and committed to serving uh, those who are new in, in the, the autumn season and we tend to grow. Lots of people uh, come to know Jesus for the first time or at least come to the church for the first time and if they don't get saved at first, they, it's an exciting season. But here's the thing, I don't want to be in a church where it's just me and my mates getting excited but the rest of the church don't feel the excitement. I want us all to feel utterly stirred, inspired. I want us to come into the autumn stretch just, just kind of just stirred, stirred. I want us to be drooling to see what God's going to do. And I think the way that God stirs us often is by helping us to feel the impact financially. As we give, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, what you give to, where you put your money is where your heart is going. And God's called us to, to trust that it's more blessed, in fact, to give than to receive. As Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give. That means it's more happy. It's more joyful. Remember the series in Beatitudes, the blessed, the happy ones, the ones who are thriving, the ones who are flourishing. Paul says they're the givers. The ones who just receive, not blessed. To, to be blessed, well, be like God. How, what is God like? God in his essence is a giver. It's who he is. He is such a giver. Everything that we have is from him. And the whole story of what God's done in this book and in our lives is a story of a gift he's given. He's given of himself. God giving to the world. God so loved the world that he gave us his son, his only son. That's what he's like. God so loved. What did he do? He gave. That's what love looks like. God, God gives to us so that we can be free, so that we can be liberated. Now hear this. This is massively important, and you'll hear it again over the next few weeks. We are free because of the gift of Jesus. Because God gave us his son, we are free. I mean that completely. We are free. Free from, from, from what? Well, one of the things we're free from is the power of the law to condemn us. The power of the law to manipulate us by guilt. The power of the law, I'm talking religious law. Laws like, thou shalt give more money. That law, that law, whether it's written down or just somewhere at the back of our hearts, back of our minds, that law has been cancelled for us. We are free from it. 
to, to give because we really ought to, because otherwise God won't really like us and we won't be acceptable. And we want to be acceptable, so we, we must give. That is over for you. If you know Jesus Christ, if you've been set free from Jesus Christ, then, my friend, you've been set free from the power of the law to condemn, to guilt manipulate you, to compel you. In fact, Scripture is very clear. Uh, Paul speaks to the Corinthians in his second letter that we have. People should not give by compulsion. They shouldn't. So trust me, the next few weeks, we will be avoiding the compulsion tactic. This isn't about compulsion. It's not about manipulation. It's not about shaming. It's about actually being truly free. Jesus is the one who gives us freedom from trying to please God the Father by our works, which never, ever, ever happens anyway. None of us can. Only Jesus can please the Father, and he's done it on your behalf. So whoever you are, you may not be a Christian today. You may be here as a guest thinking, I, I, I don't even know this God, and would this God ever like me? Would this God even want to know me? Would this God ever forgive me for what I've done? Is there a place for me in his family? Listen, my friend, because of Jesus, because of his perfect life, because of his death, because of his burial, because of his resurrection, because he is right now at the Father's right hand, you can be absolutely sure. If you turn to him today and put your trust in him, you can know not just that you get let off and you get to go to heaven when you die, which is obviously significant and good, but you can know freedom from the power of guilt and manipulation. You can know, I'm not even accused anymore. I'm in fact honoured by God. God treats me as a son, as, a, as his beloved son. And all he has to say to me is out of a heart of love. That's all he wants for me is, is his child, his son or a daughter, protected, cared for, loved by God. This is, this is grace. This is freedom. True freedom. So let no one fear that this is, a, this is an exercise in compulsion. The freedom that God gives us is a freedom from the power of the law to condemn us. But it's also a freedom from fear. From fear. Financial fear. Fear of want. Fear of running short. Fear of not having enough. Fear of not fitting in because I can't afford whatever it is. The new car. The new, the new house with the big driveway. The new trainers the new game on my Xbox, the new whatever that I must have to be acceptable. Otherwise, well, I don't, I don't know how I'll cope. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I must have. I must have. We are set free from that fear. That fear has no place with the Christian. The believer is, is now given this, uh, this liberty to actually enjoy <laughs> using money instead of kind of keep protecting ourselves. Instead, use it to serve and to love and to give to what God wants. Set free from fear. Set free from worry and anxiety about what, where should we eat? What should we, what should we eat? Where should we live? What can I wear? Jesus said, that's not for you to worry about. That's for people who don't know God to worry about. You, you know him. He's a good father. He's attentive. He cares for you. He watches you day and night. He knows what you need. He counts the hairs on your head. He knows every breath. He knows every thought before you even ask him a prayer. He knows everything. You've got no worries at all. You're free from that, free from the love of money, free from fear. Love of money is a crippling thing. Love of money is deeply unsatisfying. You will never find a more contemptuous lover than money. 
You try and marry money, you'll have a miserable marriage. It's, it's no good. It's not a good God. It's not a good husband or wife. It's not good for your soul. It will, it will squeeze you dry and give you nothing back. Don't love money. Love Jesus. He meets your needs. He'll look after you anyway. He couldn't be more careful. He couldn't be more giving to you. So we're free from those laws and we're free from those fears. I think we need to understand what that freedom looks like. See, I guess maybe 20, 30 years ago, maybe more, 40 years ago, churches like ours had to teach people who were Christians about tithing. Tithing is a practice that's in the Bible, in the Old Testament, uh, where people were expected, as part of Israel, it was, it was a law, everybody would give 10% of their, their income, effectively, their grain, their harvest, give their 10%. There was a regular, consistent. Now it was more than 10%, in fact, because there were many other tithes and offerings that were all included. So people would give a huge proportion by law to uh, the ongoing work of the temple, to the priests, a little bit like people giving to the church, you know, regular giving to help the church keep moving forward. It was just like that in the Old Testament. What we found, I say we, I guess it was my parents' generation, was that many people were good at tithing, actually. Many Christians were very faithful with giving 10% of their annual income through regular faithful giving. But very often these were people who they didn't have much of a relationship with God. It was all about the law. It was all about just, I just give my 10%. They weren't enjoying God. They were just doing this, this stuff. And it wasn't in an atmosphere of adventure and faith and trust. It was kind of mechanical. And so it was perhaps necessary for us to teach a little bit about tithing and say, look, tithing isn't New Testament. You're free from the law. So now we give in the spirit and we give with freedom. And we don't give to keep condemnation off our back. We don't give in order just to be acceptable. No, no, we are acceptable through Christ. We give more freely than that. Here's the problem, though. A generation ago, people needed to hear that. I think these days, if we only say that, I think there are a lot of people in church now who've never heard anything about tithing. And when we say you're free to give in freedom in the spirit, people can unfortunately mistake that to mean I get to give nothing if I want, and that's freedom. I'm so free, I won't bother giving. I'm really free, so I don't care. Jesus would say you're not being free. You're being in bondage to the love of money. You're being in bondage to fear. That's not freedom at all. So we need to think, okay, there's stuff to learn. People who did tithing in the Old Testament or in more recent years, or people who do tithing today, they have got a lot to teach you. And though we don't teach everyone must tithe in quite that way in this church, we do teach about tithing because tithing is a good pattern. It's discipline. If I say I'll give when I feel like it, friends, that's, I'm not going to give enough. I'm just not. I'm going to give in a lazy way. I'm never going to get around to giving very much. It won't honour God and I'll get bored. It's a bit like I'm married, right? I've been married for nearly 20 or 18, 19 years, can't remember now. Been here a long time. I've learned that my love for my wife and the way we enjoy our marriage actually has a little bit to do with budgeting. I budget in my year to take her out to dinner. 
I budget to buy her things. I budget for it because I love her. I plan to give proportional. And someone says, well, that sounds a bit mechanical. I can't believe you budget. That's, don't you, it doesn't sound like you're in fiery, passionate love for your wife because you're planning, Ugh, planning, yuck. You couldn't be more wrong. We actually plan for the things that matter to us, right? And the marriage that's fruitful and happy and stays young and stays joyful and stays feeling like springtime and exuberant is one where the husband and the wife, they kind of plan. Yeah, they budget. They put stuff aside to, to, to enjoy each other. I tell you, if you don't put money aside, your marriage to Christ will not be as enjoyable as it should be. I tell you, just if you want to enjoy Jesus, if you want to enjoy your walk with him, budget for it. It might sound weird to you, but it's just common sense, isn't it? That's what you do for everything else. You plan, you invest, we invest, we, we, we obviously budget for things that are important. I know, I hear a lot about priority bills. People making their priority, you know, there are certain bills that I've got to put out as my priority. And I, yeah, we're very, I'm, many people in this church, we are very committed, I'm sure. If we did a cross section and a pie chart, we'd find just how committed to Netflix Emmanuel Church is. We'd find just how committed we are to Apple. We, we are very committed to Apple in this church, I'm sure. Very committed. I mean, that's good. I mean, Netflix and Apple, they're, they're doing sterling work. Good for them. Thanks, Apple and Netflix. We're pleased. And here's our investment. Here's our monthly donation to you. I just wonder if we've not realised that we're already kind of tithing to some things. My friend, what's your regular commitment to Jesus and his kingdom? What's your regular commitment to what he's building, his church? And there'll be many different people with many different challenges right across the sites of this church. We've got, we've got our dinks, you know, our double income, no kids. A few of them. We've got our jams, you know, just about managing. We've got a lot of them just about managing. I, I, I know that feeling. And we've got our, uh, what are some of the other ones? I've heard of Henry's, high earner, not rich yet. <laughs> high earners, not rich yet. There's a few of those as well in the church. The one that I just made up today because I felt like it was Phobots, Phobots, or Phobots, maybe that's better, which is basically a flat full of babies off to the suburbs. I think I've noticed that. That's a new one, certainly in Emmanuel. Flat full of babies off to the suburbs. And I can understand that. Uh, but this is the way, this is the different kind of places and stages of life people are at. But here's what I want to do. I'm going to finish with this. And I finally got around to the scripture that I read at the very beginning. Do you remember those years ago when I started the sermon? This passage that Jesus gives us in Mark chapter 4. Jesus divides it up into four kinds of people. He starts in, in verse 15 with those who, they, they, they hear the word of God like you're hearing it today. And immediately the word is taken away from them. It doesn't even land. It gets robbed of them. Why? I guess it's in this case because of fear. You hear about giving, giving to Jesus, and it just sounds, it sounds weird. It sounds crazy. It sounds otherworldly. It sounds, gosh, can I trust him? Can I trust God if I, give, if I deliberately plan? I'll give a few quid now and then, but what, planning, budgeting, regular, monthly giving, putting my monthly giving up, a level up, really? A level up might make us panic a little, make us a bit afraid. 
I remember someone saying to me years ago, who was very afraid of regular giving, a new Christian, and I've been spending time with him and helping him. He's a dear friend to this day, very good friend, and, and a wonderful leader in his church, a fantastic guy. But at the st- th- he was at this stage, like many of you are at, at this hurdle, this jump. Can I learn to give? And I thought, if he doesn't clear this hurdle, he will not face the other hurdles. He's got to get this one down. He's got to learn to give regularly. Because if he doesn't learn this, he will always, all his life, be dominated by fear and the love of money. So I talked about it with him for ages. And we played basketball and we talked while we were missing the hoop constantly. And eventually, I I said to him, if you are frightened that if you give, say, 10% of your income every month to the church, you're frightened that that's not going to work out. You have way bigger things to be frightened of. Because if God has made us any promises at all, he's made us the promise that he will meet our needs. He will. He will. He's a shepherd. He, he, we shall not be in want. Jesus told us not to worry about this stuff. And if it turns out that, oh, I gave and it all went wrong. I suffered and God abandoned me. Well, we've got bigger things to worry about than losing 10%. No, friends, this is God's kindness to us. He teaches us to test him. He says, try it with 10% of your money. Try it with 10%. Just try that. Really? Yeah, yeah, try it. Just live with that, just for a while. Try it for a few months and see how I look after you. See what I do in your life. If you're fearful, hear God's word to you. It sets you free from fear. The second category would be the shallow. Immediately they receive the word with joy and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. What does that mean? People who love giving the one-offs. I'm really excited. I'm at a conference or I'm at a big festival or, or it really moved me what that preacher said or this, this advert on telly really stirred me and I, I felt I should give and it was a big thing on the TV and I gave to that. That's fine. Well done for that. But friends, it's just like you said, if that's all you do, those just big one-offs, it's a little bit like the plant that kind of shallow soil. It's not going to last. You need a spine, my friend. You need a backbone. You need a, what he says, a root in yourself. You need stable patterns of faithful giving to Jesus' priorities. Yeah, get excited about the one-offs, but don't let that replace the steady faithful giving. Otherwise, you will get scorched up by the sun and you'll just give up giving. You will stop giving because you got excited about it and then you panicked. No, no. Faithfulness will be proven in constant uh, progress, constant patterns that we deliberately attend to. Third category would be what I'd call the uninspired. The uninspired. The cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in. So I like giving to Jesus, maybe a bit less. I've got other things to invest. I've got other other responsibilities. I'm very important, did you know? I have significant things I look after. I can't keep giving away to the church. That's not important. What's happened? You might call it sophistication. Jesus would call it choking. You're being choked. Why? By desires. Distractions, things that seem important to you, to God, they said, is their thorns, their thistles, they're choking the word, they're stopping you from even surviving. My friend, there's danger. If you are uninspired right now about Jesus and his kingdom, wake up! You're in danger, you're in spiritual danger. That's serious. I've seen too many scores of people, or more, who look rock hard, hot for Jesus for years of their life, and then they just get a little bit contented and sophisticated. 
And they think that they're cruising into a, a, a cool kind of life. And Jesus would say, you're being choked, choked, strangled. You have no idea you're in danger. And you might drift away from church. You might start thinking, well, you know, I'm kind of, I take it a bit less seriously. I've got a kind of a broader view. I don't, I, you know, I've got more experience now. You think you're growing in wisdom. Jesus talks about exactly those people saying you've been choked. My friend, if there's any dullness in you, if you've heard this sermon and there's been a shred of, oh, I've heard this before. I've heard this before. I've heard the giving message before. I appeal to you, soften your heart. Be careful, please. It's a dangerous place to stand. Dangerous place. The final category of all, the ones who accept the word and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Jesus invites us to flourishing, to bearing massive amounts of fruit. Have you received his word today? Who knows what God could do through us, through you? 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Those are big multiples. People who are faithful in their giving Maybe they never know until they die how much of an impact they've made in this life for Jesus. Maybe they never know. But God will make it known one day in front of the universe. What a legacy to build up. Be intentional. Be stubborn. Be committed to giving. Let's do that this, this year and beyond. Let me say, as a final application, some of you are thinking, right, what do I do? What do I do? Get a checkbook out. Let me write this down. No, don't do that. Don't do that. We are not doing that this week. Pray, seek God. This is not a money problem. Emmanuel, are you listening? This is not us saying, we're in money, money problems, financial problems, help, help, help. No, 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 no. This isn't a money problem. This is a heart problem. This is a prayer problem. This is a seeking Jesus problem. Jesus leads the church. Jesus does. So we're going to pray. We're going to talk to him. You're going to talk to him. Before you sign any check, before you start doing standing orders, before you go on your bank account website, forget that. Talk to Jesus. Talk to Jesus this week. Let's pray. Listen, every Thursday morning, we gather as elders at Clarendon Villas Hove, 7 o'clock. We do that every Thursday morning, and we pray for an hour and a half together. Join us for these four weeks. But we're doing it half an hour earlier, so if you're commuting, you can get there. 630 Till as long as you can stay. We'll finish at eight. Stay as long as you can. 6.30 onwards. We're going to pray in the main hall at the Clarendon Villas. Join us elders. Join us and pray. Whichever site you're in, just come and join us there. Pray with us. If you can't make it, you can't make it. But find out who was there and ask them how it went because it's going to be a riot. It's going to be exciting. We're going to seek God together. And we're going to see a transformation in this church and in our lives, as we say, look, we're not going to start giving. We're going to seek God. We're going to hear him speak, and we're going to start learning all over again what it means to level up with our giving.